Welcome to the weekly radio broadcast of Campbellsville Christian Church. We are glad you have chosen to join us on our journey to become rooted in God's love as we learn to love God and love those around us. Today, you'll be hearing from our lead minister, Rodney Boo, as he brings today's message. You can hear today's message and previous messages on our church website, www.campbellsvillechristianchurch.com. There are close calls in life, and one of the first things you teach your children when they're learning to ride a bike, or if you're a kid in here, back in the day, parents used to let you walk places by yourself. And when you would teach your children about these things, the number one rule was, of course, look both ways before crossing the street. You know, and it's one of those rules that child psychologists, popular culture, nobody questions it. Nobody says, well, what right do you have to teach your kids to look both ways? Because everybody understands this is a pretty common sense rule. Because we, we understand that the answer to why we give them that rule is because if you ignore that rule, you're going to have some severe and tragic consequences. So we know to look both ways. Most people know. But when it comes to other areas of our lives, and specifically as we think about our spiritual lives, we can have a tendency to be a little more careless. Uh, Moving forward, maybe when we should be standing still. Moving forward when we should be waiting and watching. And I'm going to propose to you today that we even do this most of the time without even realizing it. So last week we began a series called Pilgrim's Songs, looking at these uh, a grouping of psalms that are believed to be used by faithful Jews as they made a journey from wherever they lived, as they journeyed to Jerusalem to celebrate different feasts. Uh, the Jewish people had lots of feasts and um, celebrations, and so they would lean into these psalms as they made that journey. These would have been recited or sung or chanted as they made the trek, um, but today we're going to look at Psalm 127. Caleb did his psalm in three verses, and I said to him, I think I can do it in two. So we're going to do two verses today of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I want you to picture something with me. We're going to go back in time. And it is 15 years before, unbeknownst to you or those you're with, that the Messiah was to be born. 15 BC. Okay. And you are gathered together with a family of pilgrims, or maybe it's an entire community, uh, making a journey to celebrate the great Passover feast, offering a sacrifice, and all reciting these ancient words. And you're right there in the middle of it. And you're coming from Jericho, making, making the trip from Jericho to Jerusalem is rough. Jericho is one of the lowest places on the face of the earth, and Jerusalem is up on a hill. It's a 3,500-foot elevation change. Now, that uphill climb isn't the only reason it's called a psalm of ascent, but it's called that because of what you're going to see next. As you make the journey and you round the corner, the path opens up 
and you see before you in the distance the great walls of Jerusalem built by hand by your ancestors under the leadership of Nehemiah. But you only notice the walls for a brief moment as your eyes immediately shift to what lays just beyond them. The Jewish temple. Words cannot adequately describe its beauty and majesty. There's literally nothing like it in the entire world. And as you gaze upon it, you realize this is the dwelling place of God. This is where God's feet meet the earth. And as you think on these words, you know that Solomon, king, the great king following King David, is attributed authorship of this psalm, and he knows a little something about building the house. And this phrase, the house, is certainly more than just building a family living structure, but refers to building the dwelling place of God. And right now, in 15 BC, you're standing there looking at God's dwelling place. The great King David wanted to build this temple, but God wasn't on board with it and instructed David that his offspring, Solomon, would be the one to construct this temple. And construct it, he did. It was magnificent. Now, as you may know, this what we're looking at in 15 BC is the second iteration of this temple. Uh, the, there was some disobedience among the Hebrew people. If you've ever read the Old Testament, that will not come as a surprise to you. Uh, but ultimately, this disobedience uh, led the Hebrew people into exile to Babylon. And prior to that exile, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem and destroyed the original temple that Solomon had built. Time passed. Uh, Persia defeated Babylon, and now King Cyrus is on the scene. You can read about that in Daniel. And King Cyrus releases Nehemiah and, and a crew to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, including the temple, making it even more breathtaking, much larger than it was before. The Lord had truly blessed this place. And then in 37 BC, just a few years before where we are in 15 BC, King Herod decided to just pour even more into it and laid gold everywhere and made it just unbelievable. The Lord had blessed this temple, but, and this is the point of verse 1, the true builder and the true guard is the Lord himself. This is his project before it's ours. And so it occurs to me, if this beautiful temple was already built, why then do they need to sing or chant? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Well, I think, I think Solomon knew something that on the surface we all kind of understand, but we tend to forget. And that's this. And it's not going to shock you. You need the Lord. We need the Lord. Of course we do. That's kind of a duh. You should not build the temple of the Lord, the house, the dwelling place of God, without consulting him first. So King David, as I said, wanted to build this temple. Uh, he, I mean, emphatically wanted to build this temple, and for good reason. He had experienced the grace and the goodness of God in a mighty way, and he wanted to express his gratitude by doing this job. But God wasn't in it, and God wasn't for it, and David relented. 
So Solomon knew from his father David and his own experience that if God isn't in it, neither should you be. So I want to be clear, the pilgrims were standing amongst, continued to sing these words, even though the temple was already constructed, because they knew that we needed God in everything, not just building a temple. We need the Lord in everything. So we fast forward to 2021, where we are today, and, and we recognize we still need the Lord. Again, I don't think you guys are just learning this for the first time. But we tend to think it's just the spiritual areas of my life. You know, I need the Lord in my Bible study and in my prayer life and, and in the spiritual stuff, right? But here's the, the news. If you are a believer in Jesus, everything is spiritual. Everything is. When we surrender our lives to Christ, we are surrendering all of it. And so all of it is under his authority. So we need the Lord even more than we often realize. But then, because we live in 2021, we are on this side of the cross. And, and because of the cross, because of Jesus, the dwelling place of God is no longer on a, in a temple on the other side of the world. Because of Jesus, you are the dwelling place of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, don't you know that you, are, you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst, we tend to forget that God doesn't dwell in this room unless you're here. God dwells in me and he dwells in you. But I think these, these two verses really point out, as I see it, point out two major realities for us. I guess all of us, when we face a decision, uh, uh, maybe a challenge in life, we tend to lean in one of two directions. And the first one is this, we become overconfident. We know we need the Lord, right? But, I mean, I, I can handle this thing. This is, this is a thing that I can do. I don't need, you know, it's not a God thing, right? So I don't have to ask him about it. I'll just take care of this myself, Right? And so we become overconfident in our own abilities. And I, I want to say just for a minute, this gets a little tricky because I think you could take this to its illogical end and say, you know, we need to stop and pray about absolutely every decision, which sounds nice. But God also gave us a brain. And most of us, most of us, common sense. So, when proceeding to walk across the street, let me be clear, you don't have to pray and ask God if you should look both ways, okay? I have met people that operate in life like this, and it is debilitating. Now, the other extreme um, may be, it would probably be unwise uh, at 12.01 on January 1st to say, uh, dear God, please take care of everything this year, amen, and move on with your life and never consult him again. Those are clearly opposite ends of the spectrum. But we find ourselves, most of the time, somewhere in the middle. But if you find yourself in the midst of a decision thinking, I've, I've got this, whether it's a business decision, personal finances, dating, or marriage, 
decisions, purchasing a home, making academic choices for your kids, retirement spending, or whatever it is, the temptation may be there to think, this isn't something I need to ask the Lord about or to see if his word has anything to say. I've, I've got this one under control. Maybe the scarier place to be is that thinking about seeking the Lord isn't ever something you consider. So we have, we have moments where we find ourselves overconfident. The second reality is overwork and anxious toil. You find yourself with a task, a project, or a major decision, and suddenly you think, I've got to handle all of this myself. Um, we might find, if you happen to have control issues, this could be uh, one of your things. We become consumed to the point that we are restless and constantly thinking about what's next. Or we find ourselves shutting down because the task at hand is just too daunting. So overwork, overconfidence, anxious toil. These are heavy words. You can almost feel them weighing you down. I find myself leaning into overwork and anxious toil most often. But both of these realities that we face have one thing in common. Both of them leave the Lord outside. And at the core of these two things is the oldest sin in the book. That's pride. Think again. I can do this myself. I don't need to involve God in this one. I have to do this all by myself, all right now. I, I, I. So when we look at verse 2 and see that anxiety, it's evident that the worry that comes, it comes from believing in our hearts that this is really our project, thus it's our responsibility. And if that's the case, I can't afford to take a break, let alone sleep. I've got to get up early and go to bed very late, and in between I've got to toil away trying to bear this crushing burden of responsibility. But it's all pointless or in vain because I can work as hard as anybody has ever worked, but all for nothing. I can be about the gospel work morning, noon, and night, seeking to build the church of Jesus Christ in this world, but unless God himself is in it, nothing's going to happen. I'm spinning my wheels, and so are you. It's all pointless, fruitless, and crushingly destructive in our lives. So pride says... I can do it myself. Pride says it's all on my shoulders. Psalm 127 reminds each of us as pilgrims on a journey that without God, you're wasting your time. And last week, Caleb, uh, as, he, as he began this series, <clears throat> asked the question, what encouragement can we give each other as we journey to the rich promises of God? And I see these men, women, and children being full of joy as they anticipate the, the celebration that lies ahead. But they knew that for the grace of God, none of it was possible. And we need to be reminded, God knitted you together. He knows your innermost thoughts. 
And his love for you is everlasting. He desires for you to invite him in. He alone is the good father who knows and wants what's best for us. And without him, it has no meaning. Now, Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed. The religious leaders of Jesus' day fell prey to another trap that I think we can fall into. The Jewish leaders were the ones who ultimately would be responsible for Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And all during that timeline, they thought they were doing the work of God. They put God's name on it because they knew that God would want them to stop anything other than what they were doing. They, they had lost their vision. They had deceived themselves into thinking they could honor God without consulting God. They had become overconfident in their understanding of God's word. Uh, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, had made rules and lists and things where they didn't even have to refer back to the Hebrew Scriptures. So they relied on themselves to making decisions. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just suggest to you that it, it's not all that different today, and, and it's happened throughout all of history, uh, in in Christianity and Judaism. We've put God's name on things that God is not a part of. We come up with pithy catchphrases and sayings that that imply God is on board with whatever it is we're doing, but. We should use a great deal of caution when we think about attaching God's name to something that God hasn't attached it to already. So I'm going to say this very cautiously, but very sincerely. When we say things like, the Lord has laid this on my heart, or God spoke to me, you better make sure that it was the Lord and not your own desires that put that there. If you find yourself saying or thinking phrases like that and whatever it is that God put on your heart or God spoke to you and it doesn't come to fruition, you need to ask yourself, is it the Lord building this house or is this all just me and in vain? And so I I would say here's a good rule of thumb. And it harkens back to the early days of the independent Christian church. Uh, There was a saying um, that they used over and over again, where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, We are silent. So seek God and his word before attaching God's name to something. Now, we know that we need to be about God's work. And maybe you're trying to figure out what God wants you to be doing for him. Because you know that every believer in Jesus is called to ministry. Not those of us who wear the title minister but we are each called to do gospel work, to to use our gifts and abilities in service to him. So I I want you to be encouraged today by this psalm. The first step in finding it, figuring it out, is to ask yourself, am I using my gifts in service to share Christ? And if the answer is no, the encouragement is clear. The good news is you don't have to figure it out on your own. Because when you do, it's going to be in vain. So seek the Lord. Ask him for opportunities, and then keep your ears and your eyes open. See where God is working, and then join him.
Seek where he is already doing something and join him. I learned something uh, this week that I'd never I'd never run across before, and I guess um, for for different reasons. Um, but in in Jerusalem, you know, we talk about that temple. Jesus predicted it would be destroyed, um, and it was about forty thirty five to forty years after his death. In seventy A.D., uh, the temple was destroyed by Rome in in uh, what's called the Great Jewish War, and it remains in ruins to this day. So many of you know that. And maybe some of you know this if you're a big history buff. I'll try to keep it brief so it's not so boring for those of you who are like, ugh, history. But this, I think, was very, uh, just blew my mind. In AD 363, there was a, a Roman emperor named Julian. He was the last of the Roman emperors that weren't Christian. Um, and there was an attempt by him to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So it's recorded, uh, his letter is recorded still, and in it, uh, he writes to the Jewish leaders, and he says, hey, I'm going to end these taxes that have been imposed upon you as Jews. Um, and he promises them that they're going to have the freedom to exercise their religion freely. At the end of the letter, he promises or proposes the rebuilding of Jerusalem for the sake of worshiping the Jewish God. Well, that sounds very generous of him. Well, don't give him too much credit yet. His nickname is Julian the Apostate because he was, um, well, while Christianity had not yet been uh, named as the state religion of Rome, the Ro there were many in the Roman government who really uh, were kind of supporting Christianity. So apparently Julian believed that the rebuilding of the Jewish temple would prove that Christianity was false and that Jesus was not uh, the true uh, prophet or messiah um, because Jesus had predicted its destruction, that no stone would be left on itself. And so Julian, who had no interest in worshiping the Jewish God, provided public funds for this little project, which was, of course, met by great excitement uh, from the Jewish leaders. There are at least seven ancient references to this attempt to rebuild the temple. The Jewish leaders accept the offer, and here's how one ancient Christian historian reports the project the day it was to begin. He writes, A mighty earthquake tore up the stones of the old foundation of the temple and dispersed them all together with the adjacent edifices. Terror consequently possessed the Jews on account of the event, and the report brought many to the spot who resided at a great distance. When, therefore, a vast multitude was assembled, another prodigy took place. So let's be clear. They tried to build the temple, and there was a massive earthquake. As this is happening, people run to the scene, and then he describes what took place next. Fire came down from heaven and consumed all the builder's tools, so that the flames were seen preying upon mallets, irons to smooth and polish stones, saws, hatchets, in short, all the various implements which the workmen had procured as necessary for the undertaking, and the fire continued burning among these for a whole day. And I tell you this story for two reasons. Number one, if God is not in it, neither should you be. God was not consulted. God's purposes were not being uh, honored uh, in this temple. Thus, it still lies in ruins today. There's never been another attempt. 
But the second is this. Emperor Julian failed to recognize something about the Christians he so very much hated. Those Christians serve a savior who rendered the temple of no use any longer. See, when Jesus died, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, signaling that the dwelling place of God was no longer in that holy of holies, but that dwelling place of God is in the hearts of his people. The Jewish people thought they were rebuilding God's home, but they missed the Messiah and the good news of the Messiah, that God is with us. Jesus was Emmanuel, that they no longer have to travel to Jerusalem to worship. But we are the temple. So don't, don't miss the Messiah. If you're here or you're watching at home, and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, don't miss it. Make the decision today to start that journey to the rich promises of God. And if you're a Christian, don't miss the Messiah. Don't miss that he is in you. He knows what's best for you, and, and he wants you to seek him. All other solutions in this life are in vain. We need to look and listen before proceeding. So don't waste the opportunities that lay ahead of you this week. Let's pray. Lord, I, th I thank you. I thank you that from the very beginning, your word points us to the cross. That as we look through the pages of the Old Testament, we see your hand at work in bringing forth something new in Christ. Lord, help us, help us not to miss an opportunity. Help us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Help us to not fall prey to the sin of pride, thinking we can do it on our own or that we know better than you or that you are in something that you are not. Help us to have clarity as we seek your will in this world. I pray that you would give us opportunities to be about gospel work, the sharing the hope that you've given us with the world around us and help us to take advantage of those opportunities. I pray today that we would surrender fully to you, that we would build our life on you, you as the foundation that our lives would be a reflection of the love that Jesus has given each of us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the hope that Jesus gives us for this life and for the life to come. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the weekly broadcast of Campbellsville Christian Church. Be sure to check our website, www.campbellsvillechristianchurch.com, for weekly service times and more information about our church. You can also contact the church office at 270-465-5571. Each of us at Campbellsville Christian Church hope you have a blessed day.